Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. As you turn to your, in your Bibles, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help. Let us pray. Almighty Father, as we come but as servants to You, under Your Word, we pray that You would give us understanding that we might not only be able to hear Your Word preached, but we would know Your great goodness above all. Lord, we pray that as we see this injustice happen in this passage, that we would see that You are a God of action. That as You point and we see Your law broken, we would understand that we would grow in our love for Your commandments and cherish them as gold. Lord, let us see what is evil. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Pray that You would do this work through the Holy Spirit for we cannot do it of our own accord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder and the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived It was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate again said to them, What shall I do, the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? They shouted all the more, Crucify him! Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our Lord will stand forever. The rooster had crowed. The sun 
had arisen, and Peter was weeping outside of the gate. The chief priests had held their council, their discussion, their mock trial. The chief priests and the scribes had condemned Jesus to death. And over the preceding pages, what we have studied before and up to uh, throughout these pages, we see the words of Christ's coming to pass. That Judas had betrayed him. He was then handed over to the chief priests and the scribes just as he had said. They condemned him to death. The disciples had scattered. Peter had denied Christ three times. And now we see the next fulfillment of the words of Christ. That the chief priests would deliver him over to the Gentiles. Now before we study Mark 15, I want to point out what I'm seeking to do. And that is to study Mark's account. At some point in my life, Lord willing, I will preach through all the Gospels. At another point in my life, Lord willing, I might go through a study where we look at the harmony of all these four accounts in details like this. However, that is not my focus today. That every Gospel account is different. Matthew mentions Pilate's wife and the washing of Pilate's hands. Luke gives an account of what happened with Herod. John stresses the religious leader's unwillingness to be able to go into the house of Pilate that they might not be unclean for the Passover. They didn't want to kill Jesus themselves because that would be breaking the law. Now many people come and read the accounts and say, look, see, they're making up stories and claiming to be history. Without going down this path, I seek to be able to say two things. First, in these differences of accounts, there's no contradiction of what has happened. There's no contradictory pieces in the four Gospels. They tell the same history differently. Not a different account of history. Secondly, those who advocate and raise questions like this are not seeking to be historical. We live in a society that seeks to be ahistorical. Seeks to be able to deny history to some extent. If not deny history, retell history. They at least are selective in what they focus on. This is exactly what they accuse the authors of the Gospels. That this is a rabbit trail I seek not to be able to enter at this time. But what we see from this passage, firstly, is the action in verse 1. The action in verse 1. That the religious leaders had held their trial. They've done so at the end of chapter 14. They've condemned Him to death. They've looked at the evidence, false evidence as we saw, and made their judgment. Jesus deserves death. Now they have to come for a plan to be able to how how this plan can be put into action. What they do is they have a meeting at the start of verse 15. They held a consultation. Ultimately, they seek 
they meet to be able to seek and devise a plan how they might be able to put Jesus to death. The trial has said he is deserving of death, and now they try and work out how that is going to come. Now this adds an interesting layer to the story. Mainly, that it is their, their accusation is that Jesus has made the claim that he is God. That he is committing blasphemy. Now, the punishment for blasphemy under the law is stoning. Now, in the Gospel of John, they seem to extend, point out that it is not for them to be able to kill. That is what holds in the civil state, they claim. You see, even in this time, that they still practiced stoning. What happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 7? He was stoned. The punishment for what they're accusing Christ of, should be stoning. But, even all these, John explains, this was to come about as Jesus had said, it would come about as Jesus had foretold. that He was to die, to be crucified, not just stoned. So as they're sitting here making their plan, cannot understand all these things, but we see God's sovereign hand at work. Now there's many different reasons why they might have held this counsel to be able to say that we should not stone them. There's no minutes to this meeting. You cannot see the reasoning, how they passed this judgment. One reason is they thought some in the council might have thought it was unjust to be able to put Christ to death. They did not seek to be able to do that. Another reason is the religious leaders are afraid of the people. We've seen this many times before. And then thus going to the Roman government to be able to have execute, to execute Jesus would accomplish two things. They would make people mad with the government. It works in their favor but also they would accomplish their plan and desire to be able to have Jesus destroyed. But the third reason, I think, could possibly be that they desired the outcome of death, but no one was willing to throw the first stone. Not enough evidence was before them on the table that no one was willing to be able to put Him to death. They tried Jesus in their court system, but really with no avail. False witnesses. Average John points out they were seeking ultimately to obey the laws of the land as their reasoning. Whatever their reasoning was behind the outcome of the council meeting, we see that this is a fulfillment of what Christ has already said would happen that he was to be handed over to the Gentiles. But also, we learn in the Gospel of Matthew, that he knew that he was to be crucified. The action comes. The second is the question in verses 2 and 5. The chief priests come and they hand him over to the Gentiles, Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea. He was the longest serving governor of 14 
governors of Judea. He reigned from about 26 A.D. to 37 A.D. Besides, his name is famous really for one reason. This account in the Gospels of his interaction with Jesus. His role that he plays in the crucifixion of Christ. Matthew and Mark only call him Pilate. We utter this name, as I pointed out this morning, every single week in our confession of faith to the Apostles' Creed that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. They bring him to Pilate, and Pilate meets him for his own hearing. And he asks him a simple question, are you the king of the Jews? Now this can help us in the accusa- understand the accusation that the religious leaders have brought against Christ. And the reason why they think he should be destroyed. Now previously they sought to be able to put him to death for blasphemy. But now they come before Pilate, a Roman official. The charge of blasphemy really is non-existent. And a Roman understanding. You would not get a Roman official to be able to say that he commits blasphemy, for they have many gods. And their idea of blasphemy is not the same as a, a Jewish idea of blasphemy. You say there is only one true and living God. For them, to only say that one and true and living God would the, be the the commitment of blasphemy they come and bring jesus before pilate and he does not seek to be able to ask questions about blasphemy but he asks them are you the king of the jews that our accusation is saying that christ has set himself up to be king of the jews that there should only be one king that is caesar in the roman empire's understanding And ultimately, this accusation makes Pilate more afraid when he hears this claim. They don't come for religious reasons, the law of God, to be able to accuse Christ. They come for political reasons as they present him to Pilate. And all of these different accounts that we find in the Gospel accounts not contradictions. The question Pilate asks is the same. Are you the king of the Jews? Now this goes to show the thoughts of what many people were thinking during this time. Jesus, after His baptism, begins His earthly ministry by saying that time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. We only have one recorded time before this event where Jesus actually calls it His kingdom. Often it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Found in Luke chapter 22. But even after this reference, we understand that Christ's kingdom is not like the kingdom of man. In this passage in Luke chapter 22, the, the importance is that Christ's kingdom is not like a Gentile's. Kingdom. He actually compares it and contrasts it 
to their kingdom. It was accusation they claim that he has set himself up to be a king. We pointed this out throughout the Gospel of Mark. This is what some of the crowds have thought, that he would be like a Jehu, rising up, destroying the wicked rulers. He would be like a Judah Maccabee, coming up in the Maccabean revolt. Jesus turns and answers Pilate and says, you have said so. The Greek is really quite simple. You say. Now Jesus does not answer this question directly. He's answered many questions before very directly. Actually, raising the question, asking a deeper question to give further understanding. Jesus just merely says, that is what you have said. The priests and the scribes continue to give many accusations. When one doesn't stick, why not try more? As Jesus stood before Pilate, but yet Christ remains silent. This again is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is before its shears are silent. So he opened not his mouth. And actually, this silence amazes Pilate. Pilate is driven, as we will see, by those around him. And this amazement, this word amazed, is used twice before by Mark in chapter 5, and then in chapter 6. First in chapter 5, when he casts out the demons out of the region, Gerasene. Second is Jesus amazed at the unbelief in Nazareth. But here, Pilate is amazed at Jesus as he stands silently before him. As the chief priests and the scribes are sitting there hurling their accusations against Christ, Christ is silent. The action, question, the insurrection. Verses 6 to 11. The main accusation that leaders are trying to make and bring up against Jesus is that he is committing some form of treason against the Roman Empire. Now, Pilate does not believe Jesus is guilty. Or even if he was guilty to some extent in the eyes of Pilate, Pilate does not believe it rises to the level where he can. Um, say that this is for execution. So, through some political tactics, hopes to be able to dissuade them from having Jesus put to death. We're informed throughout the Gospel that every time at Passover, Pilate would release a prisoner. And this year, there was a movement to be able to have this man, Barabbas, released. Now, Barabbas was guilty of insurrection and murder. Movements like this were somewhat common in these days. See, in Acts chapter 5, Thaddeus, Judas of Galilee, here of the Zealots, 
those Roman movements which were in rural parts, which sought to be able to overthrow the, the Roman Empire. And here is Barabbas, one of these leaders who was guilty of those crimes. And here you have Barabbas, which means son of the father. So you see this contrast here between Jesus, falsely charged with insurrection, treason, who truly is the son of the father. And then you see on the other side the one who is guilty Insurrection and murder. His name means son of the father. But Pilate thought the leaders, if, if he was to give them two options, says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Pilate seems to be going to great lengths to be able to have Jesus released. However, this time in Jerusalem, there was a large number of Jewish people who would have come to be able to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate stands there as any politician might with a dilemma in front of them, choosing the lesser of two evils, you might say. You have a lot of Jews here because of the Passover that might outnumber Roman guards. What would happen if the crowd swayed another way and started their own rebellion? Mark even notes that Pilate understands. He thinks of what the Roman, uh, the, the religious leaders are doing. That it is out of envy that he, that they want Jesus to be crucified. Notice how Pilate is thinking about their relationship to him. And how he, he thinks if he was in the religious leader's position, there must be a, a reason why they would want Christ dead. This envy speaks of envy of another person's success and power, which has been displayed throughout the Gospel of Mark. However, the chief priests and the religious leaders been longing for this day for years. Many plans. You've known about this since Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees and the Herodians sought a way to be able to destroy Jesus. Many years. Seeking opportunities to be able to have this. Your plan is finally beginning to be in, in grasp. They've sent spies to be able to try and ensnare Jesus in His words. They've tried their court system. Now they're going through civil means to be able to have Christ destroyed. And the chief priests, as this crowd is around them, stirs up the crowd. And this is not some form of mild stirring, but to, to incite, to be able to cause an uproar. You must note that throughout this whole trial, it has been the motives of sinful and lawless men that have all been driving to this decision. The betrayal from Judas was all for selfish reasons. Greed. Then, 
comes the incantation in verses 12 to 15. All of these scam trials now rests upon the crowd that stands before Pilate. The chief priest had, had stirred up the crowd. And they stir him up to be able to cry out, crucify him. Within this crowd, you might have had three different types of people. Those who had come to be able to have Barabbas released. We're told this happened every year, that there would have been a group of people, maybe his followers coming to be able to have him the one that was released. They don't care what happens to Jesus. The second in this crowd are those who came with the chief priests who are in favor of killing Jesus. You might even say that the third group are those who are curious, those who are bystanders. And this is a judicial matter, whether he is guilty or innocent. That doesn't seem to be a factor into any of this. Again, Pilate asks the same question. What has he done? What evil has he done that he deserves this? The crowd is not moved by a rational argument. They're not moved by what is right or wrong, good or evil. They want their desires fulfilled. They begin to shout all the more. Crucify Him. In the end, the decision was based upon the mob that stood before Pilate. It was too much for a politician who would have had to report back to his those above him in Rome how bad it would have looked at that election cycle that came up how this enormous riot broke out one of the largest districts and times in the busiest time of year. And Mark mentions and tells us that Pilate's decision was based on one thing. To satisfy the crowd. He sought to be able to use reason to ask questions, find truth. But in the end, Pilate was unable to rule over the area and the people. He was supposed to be able to rule. The crowd, in the end, has the final say up to this point. We see all of this coming as Christ has already told would happen. Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, and the scribes. And they will condemn Him to death, deliver Him over to the Gentiles. The story has not finished yet. There are still things to come in what Christ has said. They will mock Him. They will spit on Him. They will kill Him. Peter retells the story to those who were most likely here this day. Possibly in the crowd who cried out, Crucify Him! They're responsible for this judgment. Peter had just finished healing a man who could 
walk and utter, he utters these words. The God of Abraham in Acts chapter 3. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers. Glorified His servant Jesus. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Peter mentions they do three things. They delivered, they denied, and they put Jesus, the author of life, to death. Peter later explains in chapter 3, know that you acted in ignorance, as also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. He says that I know that you acted in ignorance. Not only you, but also the rulers who made these decisions. They are still responsible. We also see that this story is not over. The Bible promises that the serpent will strike the heel of the promised child to come from the seed of the woman. The story is not over. It says that the seed of the woman, the promised child of the seed of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. Peter early in Acts put it this way. As he speaks to the men of Israel, most likely those who are here at this trial. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. We know that this story is not over. Acts, uh, Mark 15 is not the end. That as much as the the, the people on the Sanhedrin, the council had, had their plans. As much as Pilate has his plans to be able to control the crowd, that all of this is working to be able to accomplish God's plan. That Christ would come. That His heel would be struck, but his, the serpent's head would be crushed. That all of this is coming from the, the promises of the Old Testament, as Peter put it. That all the prophets were telling of this time that the Son of Man must come to suffer. That this story is not yet over. This morning, Christ was sentenced over to death to be crucified. But there would be coming another morning. When God's plan continues to 
What a glorious thing that we can see. Christ, even in this moment where He seems weak, is just doing what God had planned. That we are the like Barabbas. We are the ones who are guilty, deserving of death. But Barabbas goes free and Christ takes His place. Christ takes our place as God had planned from the beginning. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give You thanks and praise that even in these dark pages of Scripture where we see the lawless men, the wicked men carrying about their own plans and devices, we see Your hand at work. All of this is to accomplish Your beautiful and glorious promises. Lord, that we are deserving of death. Yet Christ takes that death on His shoulders. We find in Christ eternal life because of what He has done for His people. We pray that we would cherish and understand this all of our days. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.